Welcome back to Talking Yanks. This is a September call-up episode. We've had guests on every Tuesday and then Thursday or Friday. It depends on the series, but you've, you've been listening. We've had two guests every week for September, and it continues today. We have Brian Hoke, beat reporter for the Yankees, author of The Baby Bombers, and author of uh, something new that we got the breaking scoop on on this episode. We talk a, a ton about this Yankees team with a lot of other guests. With Michael Kay, we talked about Michael Kay. Brian covers the team. He's with the team every day, and that's what we talked about. So uh, we also actually talked a little bit about how he got started because it's a crazy story. He was 14 years old when he started covering baseball and basically invented the Internet, even though he says he didn't, but he did. He did. He invented baseball blogging. Brian Hoke, baseball blogger, inventor. Jake, what do you you got anything else you they should be looking out for in this interview? Well, I I want to say thank thank you guys for listening. If you're on Patreon with us, we we've got behind the scenes stuff. We do live stuff. You can win a jersey. Check out the Patreon if you sign up. We appreciate that, dude. The Hoke interview was awesome, and I I was excited for this because this is our third or fourth time meeting him slash talking to him. And that we're, we're like friendly and he's a nice guy. And this was, I think it's funny because we normally try to dodge talking everyday Yankee stuff because that's what a lot of these people do. But this was in kind of a fun way with a guy who actually has a pulse on the team, traveled with them on the West Coast trip. Um, and I, I think he has some fun with it too because I think normally – when he's reporting or writing his articles, he can't get his full thoughts on there. But I think he knows when he's when he's with us, he can he can let some opinions out there, which I think is really cool. Yep. So look out for a great impression. Did you say that as well? Oh, I mean, if yeah, if you want to yank an impression of a Yankees great that Brian Hoke didn't even realize he was doing, you're you're. I think the kids are saying, I'm here for that. <laughs> All right. Thank you, for, thank you for tuning in. And here is our conversation with Brian Hoke. We are joined now by Brian Hoke, like Coke. I'm gonna, I say that every time I say your name now. I can't control it. But it is a good reminder. Thank you very much for joining us again, Brian. Last time we talked to you was uh, spring training. So it's been almost the whole season in between. Gosh, has it been that long? Wow. Well, happy to be back on with you guys. You are coming home now from the Minnesota trip. Just flew in and landed uh, after that 8 o'clock p.m. getaway day start. I am. And boy, are my arms tired. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a for the Yanks, huh? Yeah, we record the podcast after every uh, last game. And so when that saw so it was 8 o'clock, I was like, come on, that's terrible. I hate those. <laughs> I'm sure you guys have your reason for hating them as well. What was the vibe uh, after almost getting no hit? Was it noticeably different or status quo? Well, I think that there's frustration in that room. Um, obviously, this is not going the way they want it to. I think that they're well aware that Oakland is nipping at their heels here. And I think the last thing that they want to do is have to get on that plane, leave Fenway Park, go fly 3,000 miles to play a win-or-go-home game against the A's at the Oakland Coliseum, which, by the way, the last time they were there, it didn't go that great either. I, I think that you look at their recent history in that ballpark, and it has not been a cakewalk. So I think there's no guarantee they'd be coming back to uh, play in Boston. They could be coming back to New York to clean out their lockers. So I think that it's really 
unfathomable to think that it's gotten to this point, but it has. Uh, as Dave Robertson said, like, look, how many games do we have left? And the answer is 16, I believe. Uh, one game lead. So they've, they've got time. Um, so I think that, but they obviously have to get it in gear here. And uh, no amount of Aaron Boone saying, hey, we got to play better. Um, you know, he's been saying that for quite a while. Hasn't really worked. And uh, I think that anytime you go into Minnesota, play it against a team that obviously is, is looking at, golf excursions and vacations for the winter, they, they really don't have much to play for, and you lose two out of three, uh, that's not a good sign for a team that has World Series aspirations. No. It's pretty, yesterday was pretty, kind of like, I think the nail in the coffin for the, oh shit, we do have to worry, this is getting a little bit daunting and panicky. I think it really hammered itself home, losing two of three to Minnesota, and almost getting no hit. But, uh... Less on the Yankees, more about you real quick. How is uh, being a father of a second child? How's that going? <laughs> it's busy. I, I, you know, between that and working on some other projects and covering the Yankees, by the way, uh, <laughs> there hasn't been a whole lot of time to sleep. So uh, it's been busy, but I, I don't expect anyone to feel bad for me. I think that it's, it's a great time. I, I, we're, really, uh, we're really enjoying it. I can't wait to get home and see the little girl. And, um, yeah, it's been a really long trip because this one started all the way out in Oakland and we went to Seattle and Minnesota. I don't need to recap it for you guys, but uh, the, the three city trips are tough, especially when you have people at home waiting for you. What what other projects are you working on, Brian? Is it something for Yankee land? Is it something you can tell us? What do you got going? Yeah, you know, I haven't told anyone yet, and I realized I just backed myself into a corner here. So <laughs> uh, I guess I get going to get the scoop. Um, Mark Feinstein and I are working on a book 10 years later, catching up with every member of the 2009 Yankees. So uh, we've been kind of going down the roster and, and we've gotten all those guys and the coaching staff um, just kind of catching up with a lot of them, their memories of that season. Um, it's going to be due out in May next year. So look for that. That'll be my second book, which I'm excited about. And um, also, uh, yeah, I think that, um, Yankee fans, no matter what happens this year, uh, they should have a special spot in their heart for um, championship number 27. So that, that's what the book will be titled. It's called Mission 27, and we're next, uh, look for it next spring. Well, that is exciting as hell to hear about. I can't wait for that. Yeah, it's been, it's been cool to catch up with those guys, too, because I was there all that time. Mark was as well. And it's almost like going to your high school reunion in a lot of ways. You, you swap old stories and say, hey, remember when? And um, so it's been fun. And I, it's been fun for me to, you know, go and be in New York City with A-Rod and go to Connecticut with Mark Deshera and uh, catch up with Girardi at the MLB Network studio. So it's kind of like... Um, yeah, like I said, like your high school reunion. I know it's been fun for me, and so hopefully that comes through for the fans as well. Yeah, it's always fun to reflect back because when you look back on things, everything just seems better and happier. Otherwise, you're a pretty miserable person, I think. Speaking of looking back, Brian, I did some research on you, and I was so curious and interested and kind of uh, in awe. You basically started the internet. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you, this is what I, uh, you have to clarify. You started Mets Online in 1998 that predated 1996. 1996. 1996. The, uh, the dark days of the internet. Yeah. So that like predated MLB.com, like Mets.com, Yankees.com. You were, you had the, the, 
premier Mets online website before majority of the world was on the internet. That that was crazy impressive. Can you tell us anything about that your start and because I if I'm interested, other people are going to be interested. That seems like crazy. You were in high school, right, and started a a community yeah. that blew up. What would compel a high school freshman to do something like that? I don't know, but um, I, I always loved baseball. I loved writing. Um, you know, English was my best subject in school, and uh, the Mets were actually my favorite team at the time. I, I know that Yankee fans are not going to love to hear that, but I will. I will um, you know, preface it by saying I was. I, I followed the Yankees too, but I kind of lost interest after the strike in '94 and. I uh, came back in 96. My dad was a big Mets fan, so I started watching the Mets with him, and he was really excited about, you know, there's these guys coming up, Jason Isringhausen, Bill Pulsifer, Paul Wilson. The Mets are going to be really good here. And, yeah, good choice because the Yankees are about to go win the 96, 98, 99, 2000 World Series, and I'll be on the outside looking in. But um, I have no regrets about it. It was great. It was a great opportunity. It really just started kind of as a fan blog saying, you know, I'm watching the games here at home, and here's what I think about them. I mean, it's, it's probably a lot like what you see now. Um, just we didn't know what a blog was then. And um, so it, it gained popularity. There was nothing like it. Um, it. People kept reading it. I couldn't believe that uh, people actually cared what I thought about a game. I'm a 14, 15-year-old growing up in Slopesburg, New York. and um, But... Little do I know, it's, it's starting my career, and here we go. Look up, um, gosh, more than twenty years later. Is that can that be true? <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm covering the New York Yankees, the, the premier franchise in all of baseball. It's uh, it's been a dream. I don't think any Yankee fans will hold it against you now that you're writing, you know, the Baby Bombers and the 2009 Yankees book. I think we got the best stuff. But that was so wild to me. '96. That's early for internet times. And then. Um, and then you went to college, and you had people, like, writing under you, uh, writing for you on the site, right? Yeah, I did. I did. And, um, yeah, I, that's basically how I knew this was something I wanted to pursue. Um, I wasn't paying anybody. It was just kind of I wasn't getting paid. So it was, hey, if you want to write about baseball and you want to do this, um, sure. Yeah, of course. I'll take all the help I can get. And uh, so I, I, it started uh, leading to opportunities. I, I started working. I actually interned with the Mets the um, first week I was out. They offered me an internship, unpaid. said, come in, you want to see how it really works? They had Mets.com going at the time. So I graduated high school, and a week later, I'm at Shea Stadium with a press pass around my neck and um, actually got to see the whole 2000 playoffs, the World Series. I was there when um, Piazza flew out to Bernie in center field. I, I remember being in the offices, and everybody was – yelling because that ball came off the bat and you thought that Piazza got it and so obviously all the Mets employees in there are, are thinking that oh, the, the Mets just tied the game and then I very quickly realized that that ball was not leaving it was going to fall into Bernie's glove and um, that was the end of that so uh, just really cool memories um, I've gotten to see a lot of cool stuff as a result of it and um, it's certainly not a path I'm not, I don't think anybody could replicate today, but I got very lucky. I was in the right place at the right time a lot of times. Brian, I know we, we kind of blindsided you with, with that one, and we, we like doing that because we like bringing up some of the fun things. I, I got to ask before we go into more, more you and current Yankee stuff, how did that meeting with the Mets go where it's like, hey, you, you have a website about our team that's better than anything we have. Come on down. How, how did that go? Was it 
Was it fun? Was it standoffish? Or what was that like? Great. I mean, I was very nervous. I'm, I'm, you know, 17, 18 years old. I'm wearing a suit that's probably a little too big for me. I went to, to Shea Stadium. I, I brought my dad with me, and he waited out in the offices. And uh, I went in, and there was a really – it was a great guy named Tom Keenan there. And he was running the website, and um, he basically said, hey, we've been looking at what you're doing, and um, if you want to see how – we do it on our side. We'd be happy to have you for the summer. We can't give you any money, but, um, you know, I didn't need any money. I, mean, I get to go to ball games for free. Like that, that sounds <laughs> fantastic. And, uh, I said, yeah, say no more. I will be here. You know, I just got to finish up a school first and, um, but then I'll be here every single day. And so, I mean, what, what a great opportunity to kind of see how baseball worked from the inside and, uh, just get to meet some of those people. And I remember, the first time I walked into Bobby Valentine's office, I actually got lightheaded, and I was thinking, I don't belong in here. I mean, I was a fan. I, <laughs> I, I paid to go to games for years, and they're going to let me into the manager's office, and I can listen to you know what he's going to say. Um, it was really cool. And um, so I think I was probably there a little earlier than I should have been, but I, I kept my mouth shut, tried not to piss anybody off and uh, as I learned as I went on uh, I got a little more comfortable in that in that role that's pretty awesome story I, I'm glad that we get to share that with uh, people who follow you on Twitter every day know a little bit of that background because that's basically you 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 started it yourself and built it up from here that's that's really cool that's cool all right back to the Yankees of today I want to know about Boone but I know how the fans feel about Boone. I'm inundated with that stuff. And we know the players like him. From the writer's room or the beat reporter's brains, do you guys enjoy what Boone gives you as fodder and, and his interviews? Uh, what's the feeling like you know, in the beat, amongst the beat reporters about Aaron Boone as a manager uh, in, that act, in that regard? Just in terms of dealing with the media, I think he handles us fine. I, I think that... A lot like Girardi, he's not going to give up any company secrets. You know, this is not a guy who's going to pull you aside and say, hey, by the way, uh, you should know that blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I think that it's an even playing field. I thought Girardi was very good about that as well, about not playing favorites with uh, the beat. I think that he's accessible. You, you guys see the video. I, I think that, um, you know, he can be funny at times. I think that it's been tough now because there's not a lot of good things to talk about um i mean there are some good things Andujar, labor torres they they've got good things to talk about but i feel like everybody uh right now the questions that are around this team are hey is aaron judge going to come back is he going to be any good and uh, when you ask that question every single day things like that i mean injury updates chapman uh for a while we were asking about clint frazier but that uh that's over now. I think that that's not really that entertaining. Um, so it's really, you're, you're just pumping a guy for information. And honestly, I don't think he has a whole lot to tell you. Um, I think that nobody knows how Aaron Judge's wrist feels, for example, other than Aaron Judge. So to have Boone up there in front of a microphone and cameras and kind of speculate almost and, and how Judge is feeling every single day, I think that that's been a tough part of the job. And I think he's handled the criticism well. I haven't noticed a whole lot of change in his demeanor. I'll tell you, you know, they, they lost that heartbreaker yesterday in uh, Minnesota, 
And, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes after the game, uh, we're waiting on Giancarlo Stanton by his locker, and I saw Boone walk out in a sport coat, and he's eating an ice cream cone. So I think that um, this is not a guy who's going to have that clenched fist, bang your head against the wall mentality. I think he's kind of who he is. He's comfortable in his own skin, and um, that's that's why they hired him. I, I think that uh, they, they after Girardi, and here's honestly, I was a big Joe Girardi fan. I thought that he, I still think he's one of the best managers in baseball. I think that if I had a team, I'd hire Girardi, but um, they wanted a change. They wanted somebody a little more easygoing who wouldn't make the, uh, the young players nervous, and I understand that, and I think Boone has uh, filled that part of the job at least. Brian, you meant you mentioned it at the end there when you were talking about how Boone has kind of stayed the same. He's been doing his own thing. The last time we talked to you in spring training, you mentioned how Girardi – during that 500 stretch of last season, it kind of wore thin on him a little bit. It kind of wore on the team a little bit. Have you seen any of that? I mean, they're they're playing above 500 ball. They haven't had a hot streak since kind of mid-June. Have you seen any of that around the team? Or And for Boone himself, have you seen him either become more comfortable? I know you said he doesn't get clenched fist or anything like that. But how, how have you seen him t- change? And how, how has this little run kind of affected things? he's handled this pretty well i think that it's all new to him still so it's a learning experience i think that there are probably some things that have caught him off guard during the course of this year i think that he probably expected that he was going to have some difficulty and it would not just be a a smooth sailing coast to the postseason but you know we're all looking at this here at you know at ground level and we're saying oh the yankees have lost uh x number of games i think it's eight out of 16 there to their last 16 games, I believe. Um, yeah, this has been a rough stretch. But then you zoom out to 5,000, 10,000 feet, and this team's won 90 games. They're going to go to the postseason. Um, all things considered, I know I know you'd rather be on top in the American League East than blowing away Boston by 10 games. But uh, all things considered, considering they've lost Judge for such a substantial part of time, considering Severino has not been the guy he was in the first half, I think that... On some level, the Yankees are happy that they are where they are. They did what they did in the first half. They're kind of coasting off that a little bit here. And uh, really, the goal here is to get healthy and, and make a postseason run because once you're into that, you never know what's going to happen. Look, on paper last year, who, who thought the Yankees were going to beat the Indians in the first round, especially when they're down 0-2? I, I didn't, but funny things happen in the postseason, especially when you're in a, a short series like that. That's kind of like on our episode yesterday – I'm kind of fighting off the panic mode button as a fan because I know that, you know, you have the one game playoff and then you have a short series. And like last year, we saw anything that happened and I'm waiting to make opinions on that. I wanted to ask about the the judge injury. So as a fan and I can just say whatever I want and I hear what they say. And when they said three weeks, I immediately said, that's, that's a joke. There's no way at all that it would be three weeks. I was right. I'm not always right, but obviously I think a lot of people thought that. Was there a sense of that in the clubhouse that I don't want to I don't want to say that they were knowingly short on their return timetable. A lot of people there's, you know, theories out there that they um they needed to say 3 weeks for leverage and future trade talks. I don't know. Did, did you get a sense that was that in earnest? Did they really think it was 3 weeks? And is, is that just completely a misjudgment? What was the vibe in, in, in the you know, reporter's room when they say three weeks? Because I know in my brain it was, uh, no, that's not going to be three weeks. I had 
had the same reaction. I was skeptical, but um, I, I think that best case, it was overly optimistic on the Yankees' part. You know, I, I've talked to Brian Cashman about that, and um, he says that Chris Amon, their team physician, told them three weeks, so they went with it. And I, I think that so that's obviously overly optimistic. Uh, I guess it was possible. Um, they, they said that really what the difference was, they think Judge's pain threshold is so high that uh, he would have been able to come back, and obviously that turned out to not be the case. It's been uh, closer to seven weeks, probably going to be closer to eight if, if he winds up getting in a game at some point here, um, which I think he is close to doing. Um, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, you bring up an interesting point, leverage and trade talks. I hadn't really whole lot about that but you're right if you roll the clock back when they're in that situation there they're they're probably looking for outfield help the the prices were high um you know that that could be part of it but i really i i would think it was more look the doctor said three weeks so you go with it uh you're not going to argue with your team doctor um so if that's true if chris amon did say three weeks i i think that there's probably nothing more sinister to it than that and they they misjudged it they painted judge into a corner there because uh, they put him in a bad situation where he's kind of racing against the clock and he's not ready to come back, but the team expected him to be back and the fans expect him to be back. I, I think that uh, going forward, you're probably not going to hear timetables like that from the Yankees. I think that already with Chapman, they were much more cautious with it. And You heard Cashman basically say, oh, we don't know if he's coming back at all. I, I think that he is coming back, but I think they're trying to stay away from giving those kind of timetables in the future. Yeah, and I, I think you've kind of talked about some... Judge has been the big overwhelming question for the past month, month and a half or so. I I think some of the other things, Chapman coming back. Uh, Didi got nicked up. He's back now. So if, if all these guys do come back and get healthy, I think one, one of the more interesting things that we're going to see, and I don't know if you've gotten any vibes about this, but when Judge does come back... Are, has there been any McCutcheon or Gardner vibes going around, or where's where's everybody stand on that? Yeah, I think it's going to be some kind of split. Um, I, I I know that Boone has said he wants Judge to play every day in right field, and as long as he's healthy, he's going to play. Um, the, the one positive I think would be that Judge should be really fresh right now. I know that his swing might need some uh, some work, but as far as his legs underneath him, I mean, he should be. He's had a pretty good vacation here, uh, so I think that. You're going to see some McCutcheon in left field. I know that he was taking some fly balls on the road trip out there uh, in Oakland one day. They want to get that ready just in case. Uh, and don't forget about Stanton, too. I mean, Stanton has played some left field. You'll probably see him out there at some point again. But now that they've got McCutcheon and Gardner, um, I, I think that it presents a good opportunity for them, to, especially to, to give Gardner a break because I feel like his second-half production, especially here in September, has tailed off and, you know, maybe that's a long season kind of beating up his body. I know he uh, he missed two games during this series with a, a knee thing that they don't think is too significant. He should be back there on Friday. Um, but I think that any time you can give those guys a break and make – because, look, um, I, I think we all know the Yankees are going to go to the playoffs. We all know – the only question is, are they going to play at home or not? I, I still think they will, but it, it's a lot closer than you'd like it to be. I don't like that I'm looking into hotels in Oakland right now, um, but I think that uh, they, they, the idea is to get ready for that one-game playoff because uh, that, that's really the goal right now. As far as performance goes on the season and expectations, who would you say 
has hurt the Yankees with their lackluster season more? Let's see. I know that's kind of a loaded question. Well, I, I'm, I'm debating between Sonny Gray and, and Greg Bird. And both of these guys were supposed to be not just everyday average players. The expectations were that they were going to um, help excel this team forward. Sonny was going to have a great year and be, you know, a number two or three. And Greg Bird's going to be the first baseman of the future. And both have completely changed to now. People are wondering if they're even going to be a part of next year. Uh, what's your what's your thoughts on th- them? I guess and the whole situation. Well, I think that um, to change your question a little bit, I'll, I'll change it to who's been a bigger disappointment, and because they both have been. Um, I, I'm going to say it's Sonny. I, I really did expect Sonny Gray to come in and have a better year. I thought that uh, that was just going to be the adjustment process, and, and he pitched okay last year uh, after he came over. I know he didn't light the world on fire, but. I figured that he would have another year under his belt. He'd get settled in New York. I mean, there's a lot that goes into changing teams in midseason. But, I mean, the stuff was there. Um, you, you saw it in Oakland. You saw it flashes of it last year. I know that uh, they, they lost confidence in him, and that's why you saw him go. I think it was 11 days without starting in the postseason. And uh, I just figured that Sonny Gray was set up to have a, a solid year. I thought that he was going to be a big part of this team. And, look, as far as Bird goes... Um, yeah, you wanted more out of him, but they didn't get a whole lot out of him last year, too. I, I mean, he was hurt most of last year, so that didn't. that's kind of the status quo, I, I think. Uh, the difference was Sonny Gray was somebody you were really counting on to anchor that rotation, a part where, uh, look, starting pitching was a weakness for the Yankees. You know, outside of Severino, there were question marks for every single guy in that rotation. And um, you really needed Sonny Gray to step up and to to look up here in in September and he's been banished to the bullpen for six weeks and um, he's getting hit around at a spot start by the twins and can't, can't get out of the, can't even go to the fourth inning. He was done after three, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I'm going to say Sonny Gray because this is the guy you traded three prospects for last year and uh, it just hasn't panned out. And in Sonny's interviews post game, those have become uh, fan favorites for Yankee fans. Just every sentence he says is, uh, you know, got the the uh, scope out and really looking into it. As a reporter, when you're when you're interviewing Sonny and he says, "I'm the, you know, I'm the best. I think I'm one of the best pitchers," or he says, "I had good stuff," or he says the number of things that have caught headlines. When you're when all the yeah. reporters are standing there, are you like, "Oh no, Sonny!" But keep saying this. But keep saying this. <laughs> Baltimore, where he said, I think I'm one of the best pitchers in this league. Um, I, I give him a pass on that. I think you have to believe that as a competitor. Um, maybe you don't have to say it, um, but and he had a good start. And I know it's been a terrible year for him, and he, he was feeling confident. I, I'm going to give him a pass on that. Some of the other stuff, though, it kind of makes you shake your head. I, I think that in a lot of ways, Sonny is uncomfortable um, when the cameras are on. He's much better when the cameras are off, believe it or not. And so... Unfortunately for the fans at home, all you're going to see is when the Yes Network camera is on and Meredith's asking the questions. And um, I think he gets a little nervous and he doesn't really know what the right thing is to say at those points. And then maybe he's put his foot in his mouth. uh, uh, Not maybe, he has. Um, He's better when the cameras are off. And I think that there's there's a lot of guys who are that way. Um, But unfortunately for the fan base, 
that's what you see. That's the sound bite. And um, I, I don't think it accurately portrays what he's trying to say. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Part of the job is, is talking to the media because uh, that's how the fans, that's the conduit for the fan base. So, you know, when you're talking to that TV camera, you're talking to the fans and that's what they hear. And um, I, I obviously I check my Twitter feed and I know that the fans are not happy with what they've been hearing. Yeah, he's the, he is like uh, he's a lightning rod. You put a sunny crow. I feel like his post game interviews are watched more than any other player now, good or bad. I agree with you about the confidence, and you have to think that. I don't know if you have to say it. We were talking about uh, on the, our last episode. We were talking about the '98 team. They had the whole twenty um, year reunion and everything, and about Paul O'Neill and Tino and the grind and the the kind of grit and the go get it everyday attitude. And then we were trying to think who we who we think embodies that the most on this team we obviously don't really know because we're not in the clubhouse we get we just get to see what they show us on tv do you have any any comparisons like we we said maybe gardner um and tanaka seems to have that like intensity and that uh that kind of like angry drive to win do you have uh that's a good question you know i wish i I wish I could ask like David Cohen or somebody that question before I answer, but uh, I think there's a bunch of guys who would have fit in on that 98 team just in terms of personality. I, you know, one that comes to my mind is Aaron Hicks. I think that Hicks would have fit in just fine. He's almost this kind of Bernie Williams type guy. Um, and I, I think that uh, that personality plays on the team. I think that Severino is a, is a fiery competitor. I think a Dave Robertson could have fit in a Gardner, as you mentioned, um, there's a lot of guys who I think would have seamlessly fit in on that 98 team. Now, would they have gotten playing time? I don't know about that. Like, you know, if we go in a time warp and we put Brett Gardner on the 98 Yankees, I don't think he's getting a whole lot of at bats. So, um, but I think personality wise, uh, there's certainly a lot of guys in that room who uh, understand the Yankee way. And I, I, I wasn't around the 98 team as you, as you know, uh, we talked about earlier in the podcast, but just talking to people who were there, um, the vibe of that team, they knew they were good. They knew they were going to kick your butt every single day. And um, they went out there to take care of business. And I I think that as long as you do that, um, then I think you'll fit in on any team. And, you know, maybe Stanton could have fit in on that team. We don't know. Um, I I think that there's a lot of guys who have that winning mentality. Uh, Now, you can – you can have it set in your mind that you're going to go win and go kick somebody's butt, but you know, going out and doing it is actually uh, one other is actually another thing. Hey, maybe Chapman could have fit in on that team. I think they would have had a they would have had room for a, a setup man for Mariano who threw 103 miles an hour. Why not? <laughs> and in '98, that was uh, about 10 times as fast as it is now. Right? I know. Everybody was throwing 91, 92 miles an hour back then. It's crazy. So yeah, if you had a guy throwing 103. Yeah, I think that would have made some headlines. Yeah, you know what MLB needs to do? They have the the currency inflation calculators, you know? Like, how much did $10 go for in 1930? They need to do that with miles per hour. Uh-huh. Like, 103, <laughs> 103 now is, is, what, 96 back then. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, it's, it's crazy to see the velocity because now you got guys coming out of the bullpen and everybody's throwing 97, 98, 99. It's, it's all you see. Uh, that used to be something really special and different, uh, and that was a real weapon at, at times, but now everybody does it. And so when you talk to guys, even who played in the late 90s and the early 2000s, they talk about how much more difficult it is now 
because your third, fourth, fifth at bats, you're facing a guy throwing smoke. You're not facing a, a tired pitcher who's kind of trying to grit through six innings or seven innings. Um, you're, you're getting you're getting some heat, and you're going to have to be ready for it. I don't want to put you in an awkward spot. I guess I want to see if there's been any vibe from the team or your personal vibe. But we have talked a lot about this wild card, and it has been a topic on the internet about who's going to get the pill. And I guess something kind of outside of that is we we just talked about all the relievers throwing 97. Oakland's got six or seven guys that they can throw out of the pin. The Yankees have six or seven guys. I mean, what what's what's the vibe like? Is it kind of... Hey, if Tanaka can give us seven innings, or heck, if Jay Happ could give us three innings, then we could give it to Holder. Have you gotten any of that vibe, or what's what's your personal thoughts on that? I, I thought that's where you were going. I thought you were going to ask me if the Yankees would bullpen the wild card game, and uh, I don't think they're going to use an opener, but I think that you'd have a very short leash on whoever you did start. And look, I mean, they got twenty six outs out of the bullpen last year in the wild card game against Minnesota. Um, you know, you don't want to have to do that, but you can do it. Um, so I think that, you know, the bullpen is the strength of this team, particularly if Chapman comes back, that kind of lengthens it and pushes everybody back a little bit. Um, I, I think that, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking that it's going to be Tanaka or Hap for the wild card game. And, and probably if I had to choose, I'd probably take Tanaka. I, I think that he's been a big game pitcher. You saw what he did in the postseason last year, and, and he's your guy. I mean, Hap's been great. Um, but he's also kind of passing through here, and he's only been here for about 10 minutes. So, you know, if it, if it doesn't go well, are, are you comfortable if you're Aaron Boone going into the offseason knowing that he probably won't be back next year? I mean, he could be. Who knows? But he, there's no guarantee that you, you let your season ride on him and it didn't work out. I don't know. I, I, I mean, it's a tough call. I think that, uh, you know, in a perfect world, the Yankees would want Severino to go out there and dominate. But it, unless they're sure it's going to be – first half Severino I don't know if you do that so I think that right now if I have to guess I'll say Tanaka starts the wild card game and they set up uh half and Severino to start when the series gets back to Fenway Park I, I guess I, I mean you know I think that's the great question there's still what 16 games left to, to decide that and I think that nothing has been locked in yet Yep, I, 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 I'm on the same exact page as you. You use the term passing through for Hap. I use the term inherited wealth for Tanaka. He is like, you know, more part of the fabric of this team. And you and it's it's a weird feeling, but I feel like you want to ride or die with a guy who's been around and done it for you before and is gonna do it for you in the future. Even though Hap, and it's not a knock on Hap, it's just kind of a weird feeling that you kind of put words to and I did too. And I don't know if it's rational or irrational, but I that's how I feel about it. Yeah. I just feel like Tanaka's earned it. I mean, he's put in years here with the Yankees, and this is a guy who I don't think any of us have forgotten. He's still pitching through a small tear in his UCL. Um, I mean, this guy has been a warrior, a gamer, and, and he has shown an ability to raise his game when it counts the most. And, you know, what counts more than a game that determines your season, whether you're you're going to be on the beach next week or if you're going to be playing in the American League Division Series at Fenway Park. I, I think that if I were... Aaron Boone and Larry Rothschild, I'll trust Tanaka in a big game. Tanaka, um, this is going to be odd. Tanaka's post-game Instagrams, I don't know if you've ever seen those, but they're... I have, yeah, sure. They're awesome. Tanaka's wife, there was a picture of him from the last game he was in crying when he was in a jam and then so excited that he got out of the jam. 
is <laughs> have you got seen the personalities of um like that side of Tanaka cuz we see the guy who's so so strict with himself and angry with himself all the time. He seems like a really silly guy in the clubhouse. And I, does that does that translate or is he kind of, you know, because I know the English is a second language and all that. But is there this really silly side of Tanaka? And if there's not, lie to me and tell me there is. No, I, I think there is. And I think it comes through, with, you know, whether this is not um, yeah, some of that other stuff. I, he knows more English than to credit for. Uh, he, he understands what's going on around him. Um, he's kind of got that Andy Pettit thing where if, if he gives up one run in six innings, he beats himself up because, you know, I remember Andy standing in his locker saying, oh, heck, man, I made a terrible pitch there, and I just said, I can't believe I did that. And it's like, dude, you just – you got to win. Like, <laughs> stop. Um, he's got a little bit of that. And so um, – I think that Tanaka has fit in really well with the fabric of the Yankees. I, I think you used that term earlier, and um, it, he's definitely a, a big part of that clubhouse. Can we call you and, and interview you as if you're Andy Pettit, and then we'll just have our listeners, <laughs> the listeners say think we were talking to Andy Pettit because that was a spot on impression. I just realized I did that, and I didn't even mean to. And, um, well, congratulations! So I, so I dropped news, and I dropped Andy Pettit impersonation on your podcast. And, <laughs> that was um, good. I don't think I've ever. I, I don't I, think I've ever done that before. So that was go. that was a good impersonation. That was really I, good. I was I was gonna yank your chain and say, well, if we got a couple more minutes, why don't you just run through an impression of everyone from the '98 team while we got you? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. All right, because I think that's good. We really appreciate you coming on again and talking with us. It's a great conversation. Yeah, of course, I enjoyed it. All right, well, we will be in touch. Hopefully, we have some postseason games to talk about. If not, we definitely got to get you back on in the offseason to talk about the book because I need to know more once you're allowed to tell us more. Yeah, great. We'd be happy to. Yeah, thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for joining. All right, there you have it, Brian Hoke. That was a fun interview. Go follow Brian Hoke on Twitter. You you probably already do. I'm excited for that book, Jake. I am. We got a scoop. Yeah, was that the first first breaking news? First talking Yank scoop. Oh yeah, Brian Hoke and Feinstein are writing a book. Two thousand nine Yankees. Cool, though. No, yeah, I'm, I'll I'll read that because you know it's Yankees. Uh, before we close up, I think you have to do your Andy Pettit impression now. I think that's how that works. <laughs> well, I tell you what, man, I was I was throwing the ball pretty well out there today. The nope. guys behind me were picking it pretty well, and uh, I don't know. All Yankees moms love me, so. Thank you. Yours was more of like a slick oil tycoon. Well, mine was after a really good start. Like he went, he went seven innings, pitch one hit, and he said he'd say something cute, like he'd give the defense all the love, and then he'd be like, "Yeah, <laughs> wish I didn't give up that one hit, but we got the win today, and that's all that counts." Come when here, I, Jorge. When I think of Pettit, like talking, I just think of starting every time. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's that it's that Southern thing. It's that slow. I'm excited. I'm an excited Andy Pettit. When I get going, if I have coffee in me, I go to the South and talk, they'd probably be like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah, dude. You would get some ugly looks. I can talk fast sometimes. See, I would, when, I, when I used to go through the South a lot for work, I'd, I'd have just this. They, a couple guys said this verbatim. They said, you smell like the Northeast. Because I'd come in with like a polo shirt tucked into khakis and... But then I just, I, you just make one self-deprecating joke about yourself. And they're like, all right, you're all right. So should have smelled me yesterday. I smelled like your mom. 
Okay. Well, this was talking moms. <laughs> thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, go tell Brian Hoke, uh, thanks for coming on, because that was fun. See ya later, alligators. Now, what was the K thing? See ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. Go Yanks. Yeah. Tell, tell them, Grams. Go Yankees. <laughs>